And this morning I want us to think about and talk about uh, missing the point. I say, are you missing the point? And uh, so uh, there was, it's been several years ago now, Leslie and I still laugh about it. Uh, I, I was off somewhere and she uh, was going to make supper. And she said, what do you want? And I said, I know I said, there are those Stouffer peppers in the freezer. Let's have those. Well, she heard stuffed peppers. And so she went to Kroger and, uh, you know, went to the grocery store and got peppers and hamburger meat and all the stuff that you need for, for stuffed peppers. In fact, you know, found the Emerald Lagasse recipe uh, online. So we had Emerald stuffed peppers. Uh, they were much better than those frozen Stouffer Although those Stouffers, they'll do in a pinch. It's definitely not mama's or grandma's, uh, but it'll do in a pinch. Uh, and so Leslie made that. And so sometimes when we communicate, we don't communicate about what we think we're communicating about. Uh, and I wonder if you have an illustration. We're going to have audience participation this morning. Uh, who wants to share? You have an example of a time when you were talking to one thing and somebody thought you were talking about something totally different. And they missed the point. There was miscommunication. Who wants to share with us? Every time I talk to Sherry. <laughs> Bill says every time he talks to Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone else? But Tim? <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I heard the fence. He wasn't in the back of the house, but uh, it, it was, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we get responses that that just don't make sense, and uh, and I think we're going to see that here as we look at First Corinthians chapter eleven. I've heard, and probably you've heard, a lot of very poor sermons uh, taken from this chapter. Uh, about things that this chapter is not talking about. And you'll see what I mean when we read uh, the verses. Uh, Paul, uh, in chapters 9 and 10, was talking about how our life as a child of God is different. And it's different how we act in the world and how we present ourselves and how we treat one another. And in the next couple chapters, in chapters 11 and 12, uh, and 13, he's going to talk to us about, you know, if it's different how we live in everyday world, our worship ought to be different. And so he talks about how we as God's children not only live differently out in the world, but how we live differently inside God's house. Um, and sometimes we make mountains out of mohills, and we make things that are... Uh, incidental or peripheral main things and bad things happen when that takes place so let's take a look at the first 16 verses of first corinthians chapter 11 paul says imitate me just as i also imitate christ now i praise you brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as i delivered them to you but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. 
Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman for man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a man has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Well, as we read that, you can understand why indeed there are so many Uh, bad ideas about what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, especially in chapter 11. And I don't know that I'll solve all the issues or answer all the questions, but I do think as we look at this text, we need to understand what Paul was saying and what he was not saying. And so I hope we'll do that this morning uh, as we look at this uh, biblical text. I want us to see uh, in verse 1 of chapter 11... Uh, really is the ending of chapter 10. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then people on the feminist side and on the masculine take this chapter and, man, they twist it and chop it and make it say all kinds of things that Paul would never intend. Part of the reason for that is the culture in Rome in the first century was very different than the culture in 21st century America. And so it's hard for us to understand sometimes the things that Paul is talking about. And he's talking here about uh, some customs and traditions uh, that are part of the Roman world of the first century that don't make a whole lot of sense to us. And so when we don't understand that, we grossly miss the point. Uh, I've heard more than one, unfortunately, sermon from this chapter, I mean an entire sermon, not just a preacher chasing a rabbit for a second, but entire sermons about how men ought to keep their hair short, men ought to, and women ought to let their hair be long, and you know wear hats, and that is not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about men or women's hairstyles or their apparel, their everyday apparel, what he's talking about here in chapter 11 is our behavior in our worship of God. And so I want us to, at the outset, begin by talking about something that we really need to grab a hold of, and that is this, that all are called to participate in worship. Paul here talks about uh, men and women Praying, 
out loud in church. Oh, oh, ooh. Paul talks uh, about this in other places, and so there's some... What we need to understand and remember, in the city of Corinth, there was this uh, heathen cult. I remember, I've mentioned it to you a couple times, and the, the, the pastors, if you will, were not men. Uh, they were women, and they weren't just any men. They were prostitutes. And that was how they worshipped, was through prostitution. Well, that is not of God. Uh, and yeah, so um, they did not in R- the Roman world, in Roman society in the first century, everybody, did, including women, did not wear hats all the time, and they didn't wear veils over their faces. Um, there were parts of the world where they did do that, but not in Corinth, not in, in Roman uh, places. Uh, and so that's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is clearly talking about is in his worship. He said, listen, I am so glad and I thank God that you still are worshiping the way, and the, the way that I taught you. And not that you know, there was a particular form, uh, but that we you know, worshiped God and we held to sound doctrine. And, we held, and sound doctrine necessarily is lived out. And it's practiced. It's one thing to say you believe something. But if you don't act on that belief, you really don't believe it. You know, there are a lot of people in this country that say, you know what, I think going to church is important. I tell you, as your pastor, I think it is important. But there's a whole lot of people that say it's important, but guess what? They ain't. They are not in church this morning. And so obviously it's not very important to them. If it was important to them, they'd be here. Or they'd be at church somewhere. But they're not. And so just because we say something does not mean we believe it. Our beliefs are shown by our actions. And Paul wants us to understand that all of us have a part to play in worship and in God's service. There's something for everyone to do. And there is not, uh, you know, this. well, you're not a deacon, so you can't do that. You're not a pastor, you can't do that. All of us are called to be involved in God's service. And so here Paul says, you know what? There are men that uh, are praying and prophesying. And when he's talking about prophecy, he's not talking about you know, speaking in tongue, you know, gibberish. He's not even talking about foretelling the future. What he's talking about is declaring what God has said. And it's not through you know, some special new revelation, but rather it's a reminder. and say, uh, We might call it in our culture today testimony that we might stand and we might declare what God has done or how he's blessed us or how he's moved among us. That is good and necessary. And that's all part of worship. Worship is meant to be participatory. When you come into God's house, it's not that you just sit there like a lump uh, for an hour. 
No. We come, we sing, we pray, uh, we listen to the sermon. Hopefully we take some things from the sermon and we apply it to our lives and then we go out and live it. We are not just spectators. We are welcomed and invited participants. God loves it. In fact, the Bible says that God indwells the praises of His people. He likes it when you sing. Even if you sing off-key. Even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. God loves it when you sing. And when you pray, God listens and God loves to hear from you. It's like all of you that are dads here today, you love hearing from your children, don't you? And you love them today, especially saying, Happy Father's Day. You enjoy that. God loves to hear from His children. Now, do we do that throughout the week? Absolutely we do. At least you should. And there's power and necessity for you to be participating in private worship through the week. If the only time you ever read the scriptures, if the only time you ever pray is on Sunday morning when you're at church, you're doing it wrong. And you're missing the whole point. Our worship whether it's singing and praying and preaching, all of that is fueled by our collective praying and reading and living throughout the week. And so if none of us have read the Bible and none of us have prayed all week, when we come to church on Sunday, it's going to be mighty dry. And probably not much is going to go on. But can I tell you that if we've been praying and God's been working in our life, when we come together with other of God's people, it's like God shows up. And amazing things happen. And so it's not that you have to come to church to be a Christian or, or to be saved. No, our salvation and our right standing before God's based on our putting our faith and trust in Jesus. But can I tell you something? That you cannot be the child of God that God created and desires for you to be without being a part of a local Bible-believing church. You, you can't grow the way God intends you to on your own. Because part of what God created you for was to participate in worship with other believers. And you can't do that by yourself. You know, I could preach, and, and I do preach the sermons that I preach. I preach it to myself first. But they're not very good when I just preach them to me. There's something about us being together. And can I tell you that if you're looking and you expect to get out, out of worship something and you put something in it, you will get something out of it. But if you don't put anything into it, don't expect anything out of it. God calls all of us. And so Paul mentioned, he said, listen, I'm glad that you are still gathering together just as I taught you to do when he planted that church in Corinth. And he said, I am glad that you are praying. 
But the problem, he said, and we'll get to it in just a minute, is that how we're praying and how we're perceived and how we're approaching God matters. But rest assured, every one of us, and he mentions here in God's Word, and it's authoritative God's Word, it says women are praying, and by the way, they're praying out loud, and they're praying in the sanctuary together with other believers, and they're prophesying. Now, when we get to chapter 14, we'll have some problems with, that we'll have to unwrap with that, and we will. But just because you're a woman does not mean God doesn't have a plan for you. Paul makes a point say, you know what? God made Adam first. And men are to be a leader. And by the way, just chase a rat for just a second on Father's Day. A big part of the reason we have so many of the problems that we have in our country and society today is the absence of fathers. And, you know, I could preach a sermon just on that, but that's not what God's given me today. Fathers matter, and they're important. Um, and fathers, if you're here today, you need to take that responsibility very seriously. But, you remember he created Adam. and He looked and he said, hmm, this isn't quite right. Everything else he'd made, and what did he say? He patted himself on the back and said, man, that's good. So I amazed myself at how good I am. But he said, this isn't quite right. And do you remember what he did? He put Adam to sleep. And he took a piece of his rib. And he made woman. And that's what woman means, is out of man. And so women, very literally, for the first one all the way, it came from a man. But Paul points out something else here. He said, listen, every one of you men that think you're so special and you know, that you've gotten some kind of special anointing as a child of God, there's something that's true about every one of you. You came out of a woman. In other words, your mother gave birth to you. And God knew what he was doing when he assigned the, you know, the child birthing role to women because men couldn't handle the pain and all that, even of the nine months getting ready. And then child, men could, we'd all died out eons and eons ago if men were, and God knew that. You see, he made women tough. And they're able to endure that. And here's the thing, by the way, ladies, you think Adam and he, he went childhood, childbirth initially, was supposed to be painless. But because of sin and because of the fall, part of the curse was childbirth would be extremely painful. But here's the thing, the point. Everyone, every man, every woman, every male, every female is called to serve God and called to participate in worship. I just want to quickly point out to you Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, this is Paul again speaking uh, to the church at Rome, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship. And some of the translations will say your spiritual service, but the idea behind that word that Paul's trying to get through is your worship. In other words, God expects you to worship him and as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, how were sacrifices? Were they living? Nope. If you were a sacrifice, that meant you were dead. But now that Jesus came and he was the final, once and for all, sacrifice for sin. He paid the sin debt that I owed and you owed and that all the world owed. That whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so Paul wants us to understand that the point is not about whether women cut their hair or whether women wear a veil in church. And I've told Leslie a few times recently, I think women ought to go back. We ought to go back to women wearing hats in church. Some of them. But then I found out hats, they cost 200 bucks a piece. And so I kind of rethought that. But yeah, amen. So, but understand this, that we are all called, that we all, because we are all children of God, have the right and have the responsibility to participate in worship. Then secondly, what he wants us to understand is that our worship is to reflect God's glory, not ours, and not the world. Paul's point, in, in here we have to remember, he, he talks about God and then man and woman and then Christ. I think what he's, he's, you know, Christ is not the bottom of the ladder. In fact, the Bible says that there's God and he's co-equal and co-existent and God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been and always will be. Uh, they're co-equal the coast of, you know, all of those great theological truths that we hold so dear. Paul is not devaluing Christ. And he's not putting Christ on a lower footing than the Father. Nor is he putting women on a lower footing than men. But he understood that in the Roman world, there's this... The, the priest of this occult, crazy temple with these women prostitutes, and everybody knew who they were and knew how they dressed. You know, they had the gaudy makeup and they had long hair, you know. And so Paul said, you know, well, ladies, when you're in church, you make sure people know that you're not one of the prostitute priests, you know, from down the street, but rather you've been redeemed. And that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and your life has been changed by him. That time, you know, short hair on a woman, when a woman's hair was, head was shaven, it was because of one of two things. One, she was in mourning. She had lost her husband or had some tragedy and you know, that was how they showed they were in mourning. Secondly, it was also if a woman had done something that the society wanted to make an example of them, wanted to point out that 
Uh, you know, they didn't put women in prison, but what they did was they shaved their head. And so it was a sign of dishonor. The point was not the hair, whether it was short, whether it was long. The point was that our worship was to reflect God's glory and the fact that he had changed our life and he had made us new. And so that when we are praying and when we're proclaiming what God has done for us, it's not to make ourselves great and it's not to bring attention to ourselves. But rather, it's the point to God. So you know what? He's the one that's done all the work. It's him that deserves all the glory and all of the credit. Did he work through me? Yeah, he worked through me, but he's the one that did it. And so the point, we must not miss it, is that our worship is to reflect God's glory. Not ours. It's not to bring ourselves or to make ourselves notorious or notoriety. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. I can't get the right word out, but you know what I'm trying to say. And man, hats in the world, when the man wore hats, who wore hats? It was king. And governors. And so Paul's saying, man, you don't wear a hat in war, when you're praying because you need to make sure people know that you're not the one that's in charge. That God's in charge. And so it is hard for us to know when do we say, you know, something in the Bible is cultural. When do, you know, it is hard sometimes to know that. But when we take the context of this entire letter and we know what all of Paul's teachings and all of what the New Testament teaches, we can find some context and that usually helps us to understand. Our world is very different. And so we do have to do some thinking and some studying and trying to decide in, in prayer and asking the Lord to help us to understand. But these two things are certainly true, that every one of us is called to participate in worship. And that our worship is to reflect God's glory, not ours, and not this world's. But then lastly, I want us to see this morning that our worship is also to reflect our life together. The biggest problem that was facing the church at Corinth was not the evil that was going on outside in the culture. Paul writes, and he does address a little bit about it in this letter, but most of what he addresses are problems that are inside the church. And the church living in ways that are contrary to how God intends for them to live. And so he said, you know, listen. He said, this is how it is that we understand that, you know, it's, it's not about being contentious. Verse 16 says, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Well, what's he saying? Some said, well, it's not a big deal, just skip it. No, that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, listen, we have no practice of being contentious toward one another. In fact, we're to 
be loving one another. And we're to be putting others ahead of us, remember? He's already said that in the preceding chapters, and he's going to apply it for us uh, later on as he ends the letter. They said, you make sure that you understand how important it is that as God's people, you understand that it is about you living together. Understanding you cannot do it on your own, and you were not made to do it on your own. You were created to need Christ, first of all. And you need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that Paul talked about in chapter 6, reminding us that when we get saved, God comes and He takes up residence in our life, and we're now part of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. But he said, as you know that truth, it ought to impact. Because listen, there's a truth. Birds of a feather flock together. We, we tend to associate with people that are like us. And so Paul says, as a child of God, when you have the Spirit of God in you, it's like a magnet. You take a magnet and you have something else that's magnetic, what happens? They slam together, don't they? And the, he, Paul is saying, listen, that's how the Spirit works. When you have the Spirit and I have the Spirit, we're drawn together and we're more powerful together. And we accomplish more together. And so not just two of us, but guess what happens when you get a bunch of magnets together? What happens? They all pile together. And you know what happens when a bunch of magnets get... You can pull two magnets apart fairly easily. But something happens when you add more magnets. Those magnets become more and more powerful. And so it becomes much more difficult to even separate two of those magnets. Because that magnetism of all those other magnets are pulling all the magnets together. Whereas when you had two, it was just two pulling together. And so Paul says, listen, there is no, uh, there's no policy, there's no allowance for contentiousness in the body of Christ. He said, you didn't learn that from me, and you hadn't learned it from any other church either. What does Paul say? Paul said we're to submit to one another, and we're to love one another. He said, there are certain things that we're to stand on and we're not to waver on. There are such things as gospel absolutes. And Paul says, that's how he began this chapter. He said, you are standing on those gospel absolutes and that's good. But he's going to tell us later on that there are things that aren't quite gospel absolutes. They're preferences. Or there's things that we can dis, you know, have different views on. There's churches, even here in Pearl, Mississippi, they don't have any instruments. They think instruments are wrong. and they're unbib- I, don't, I don't know what they do with the psalms, because the psalms are full of instruments. And I guess they say, well, that's Old Testament. But there's even instruments in the New Testament, so that doesn't quite hold water either. But, but they don't believe in instruments. Are they still Christians? 
Well, the, the determination of whether they're Christians or not is not if they have a piano or not. The test is if they're a Christian and if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if they've done that, then the Bible says that the same spirit that I have is, a, is inside of them. And so we are to live life together. And so we can disagree. You know, I have friends that don't believe exactly like I do. Chances are you do too. And by the way, that's healthy. We don't learn and we're not stretched and we're not challenged when we're surrounded by people that believe just like we do. There's things that, that we can cooperate with other believers on because we have the Spirit of God together. And here's the thing, when even though I have disagreements with some of our Church of God brothers and our Roman Catholic uh, brothers and our Presbyterian brothers, I have, have some disagreements with those folks. But you know what? They're still brothers and sisters in the Lord. And God says I'm to love them and I am to live together with them and I'm to serve together with them. But most of the time, what do we do? We separate, exactly. We have contentions, and we fight, and we speak ugly about them. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, listen, you don't talk bad and ugly about a brother or sister in the Lord. You love them, and you care for them even when they're wrong. And you know what? I have a, a priest, a Roman Catholic priest that I went to middle school with, we're still friends, uh, still talk occasionally, I consider him to be a friend. I absolutely have some big differences of belief from Shane. And you know what? Shane believes different, and he has some issues with me. But you know what? We're still friends. And we still have meals together occasionally, we talk every once in a while. Because the same Savior that saved me saved him. Now, do I think he's wrong? Yes. Does he think I'm wrong? Yes. But we don't make contentions. We don't strive with one another. When people look at the church, far too often, unfortunately, they see an example of the world, not of what, uh, an example of Christ. And that's unfortunate. And so Paul is saying to us, he says, listen, get the point. Serve God and love one another. Serve together. Don't say, well, they don't believe just like I do, so I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. Which is what we do most of the time. Most churches that split, it's not over doctrinal issues. Although sometimes it is. Most of the time, I'm going to say 90% of the time, it's over stupid stuff. My feelings got hurt. They didn't put me on a board. They didn't put the color carpet in there that I wanted. They didn't get the right stuff. They didn't pick the right paint color. They don't use the right hymn book. They don't put a screen on the wall. Stupid stuff that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So you know what they do? They say, you know, I'm taking my toys. 
I'm going to go across the street. I'm going to make my own church. But here's the problem. When we go and we, you know, our contention, we say, well, I'm just going to leave. In that new church that you left because you had problems in this first one, problems are going to come up and disagreements are going to come up in the new one. And because you didn't deal with them biblically and say, you know what, I'm not going to be contentious, I'm going to love you, we're going to get along. What's going to happen in the new church? Well, there's going to be a third church split. (laughs) And they're just going to keep splitting. And that's not healthy and not good. And so Paul says, don't miss the point. Don't think chapter 11 is about how, how often you get a haircut or don't get a haircut. That is not at all what Paul is talking about. He's talking about how we serve God and how we participate in worship. And that's what this chapter is about. That's what the next chapter is about. How we serve God. How we live for Him. And and Paul says, listen, you better learn to get along. Because here's the thing, I'm going to close with this. You better get along here on earth because you're going to spend eternity with one another. And here's how God works, because God has a sense of humor. You remember Joe that left church because somebody made him mad? Guess who's going to be Joe's neighbor in heaven for all eternity? That's just how God works. He said, well, I'm going to show you two knuckleheads. Might even make them roommates. (laughs) And so... Paul wants us to understand, don't miss the point. It is about our worship of God. God expects you to participate in serving Him and worshiping Him. And He expects that worship to reflect Him, not this world. And so God calls us to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. Thank You for Your goodness and Your love to us. We thank You for how Your Word challenges us and encourages us. And You've been reminding of us today of our responsibility and our privilege to worship you. And we've done that as we've gathered together. Lord, we're all called to serve you. You have saved us. And Lord, that alone demands our surrender to you and that our service to you. You just saving us makes it so that I have to say, not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, maybe there's a child of God here today that you've called them to serve you in some way and they've been battling and fighting and bucking. And today, it would be, listen, hey, serve with gladness. Maybe they need to serve and say, Lord, I'll serve you. Maybe there's a child of, uh, you know, that is yours but, and you've been calling out to them and they've not answered, Lord, they're, they're not saved. They don't know what it is to be changed from this world. And today they would need to say, Lord, I need to change. I need to change the lordship of my life. I need to put myself under new management. Lord, if that's a decision someone here needs to make today, would you help them? Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to serve you with grace and love. And help us to serve one another with grace and love. Let's stand together and we're going to sing this this little chorus. Let's sing it through twice. God spoke to your heart.
listen, altars flood, we'll sing it a hundred times if we need to. But would you just sing this chorus as a simple